Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Hello, Vanessa, Casper, Ariana, and the rest of the Harry Potter sacred text team. I'm Casper Tekile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, an Alpost edition. So Casper, I get back from our Harry Potter pilgrimage on October 10th. And then October 11th, I get to go to LeakyCon. I'm going to be in full Harry Potter mode. When I get back from LeakyCon, I expect you to start calling me Hermione. <laughs> I thought you'd already changed your name. Not legally. Okay. <laughs> Only spiritually. So if you're at LeakyCon, come and say hello to Vanessa and Ariana. They'll be there on October 11th to the 13th. And we always love to say hello to people and learn about why you enjoy the podcast and what you're doing with it in the world. And take a lot of pictures with me and Ariana to send to Casper so that he's jealous that he's not there. And if you want to see Vanessa and the team going on the Harry Potter pilgrimage, follow us on Instagram, Harry Potter Sacred Text, and you'll see all the updates as the group travels together. So Casper, did you know that Pill Hill is a place so named in Seattle because it has so many hospitals on it, which is why Grace Sloan Memorial Hospital from Grey's Anatomy is set in Seattle and that that is my favorite TV show. This is like Boston being called the city of Eds and Meds. I didn't know Seattle had a Pill Hill. It That's does have Pill Hill. Genius. Yes. We are so thrilled to have a local group in Seattle. It's called McGonagall's Army, and it's run by Kenna Ketrick and Mariah Pepper, who we're very grateful are our local leaders there. If you are interested in joining a Harry Potter and the Sacred Text local group, visit harrypottersacredtext.com forward slash groups, and you're always able to start your own one. Get in touch with Maggie by emailing us and she'll help you with everything you need. So we are lucky enough to be joined today by Travis McElroy, who, among his many wonderful qualities, is a very proud Slytherin. And so we are going to talk to him about what it is that it means to him to be part of his Slytherin identity. And Travis, do you mind just telling us, you have a list and litany of podcasts and accomplishments. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about all of them? Well, I'm a professional podcaster. I host My Brother, My Brother, and Me, The Adventure Zone, Schmanners, Trends Like These, Positive Atini, The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls World Tour, uh, Till Death Do Us Blart. I am a New York Times number one best-selling author twice over. Uh, I've made a My Brother, My Brother, and Me television show, but more than any of that, I'm a proud Slytherin. I'm also a dad, but that's not as important. <laughs> as being a proud Slytherin. Which is a very Slytherin thing to say. Yes, that is me. 
Okay, so my first question is, did you self-identify as a Slytherin or did a website declare you as a Slytherin? I self-identified. Mm. Um, it is, I would make the choice to be in Slytherin where I asked. I think that in and of itself is perhaps the most telling. But also, as I go through the traits uh, that I both identify myself with and that Slytherins are identified with, I mean all the positive traits, of course. <laughs> that's where I'm like, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Okay. Right. I'm the same as you, Travis. I When I took the tests, I, secret, secret, got sorted into Gryffindor, but I was like, no, this is wrong. I'm conniving and yes. cunning and ambitious. And like, I wanted to claim that Slytherin label, even with all of the horrendous baggage that obviously comes with it. And I'm like, is there a specific trait that you felt like, oh, that's really important to me? Like, I want to acknowledge that even publicly, because there's something declarative about claiming it, you know, that other people yes. see that we're Slytherins. What's that about for you? The trait that I think gets most, the most flack is pride. Because mm. I, I think most people take that as like pride goeth before the fall or hubris mm. pride. But I think being proud of your accomplishments, being proud of yourself, being proud of your house, being proud of things is an underrated trait because I think that too often people put on this very false humility <laughs> or even real humility right where they get down on themselves or they're not willing to talk about the things about themselves that they are proud of but I like myself there are many things about myself that I'm very proud of and there are things about myself right. that I'm working on and trying to change I do not think I'm perfect but I think that having a willingness to be proud of yourself and to speak proudly about your accomplishments I, th I think that that is a laudable trait that too often uh, is cast in a bad light because people, for some reason, see being proud of yourself as somehow show-offy or bad, where I think being proud is, is a wonderful trait because I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with self-confidence and self-loving and, and being proud of yourself. I think that there's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself. No, I think that that's exactly right. In fact, I tease a friend of mine that he's so humble that it actually turns him into a liar. Like, I'll be like, you're <laughs> mm -hmm. the expert on this. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, no, you literally are the person in this room who knows the most about this topic. So can you please talk about it, right? Like own your authority. Yes, could you please just answer the question and stop doing this dance that you're doing and maybe just answer the question. Right, and you know, and I think that we should all be owning our authority in a positive way. I find that to be a very compelling reason to identify as a Slytherin. I get a little bit confused by people's pride in Slytherin house, I think especially in Trump's America, right? Mm. Where, where people are quote unquote proud yeah. of being white it's really a white supremacist house. Mm. And so I'm wondering yes. if you can talk about holding that identity and still being proud of being Slytherin in these really complicated times. Here's the thing about it. I often get frustrated because the thing about it is if you remove, oh, this, this is such a bonkers thing to say, <laughs> but if you remove J.K. Rowling's influence in the book she wrote, like she writes it to be that way because she wants, she she needed antagonists, right? She needed a house that was bad. But really, when you think about it, we only see like eight characters in Slytherin who are bad. And so I think Slytherin has come to be this house that represents like racism and xenophobia and classism and all these things, which I don't think is unfair, right? I can, I think it is accurate to how it is portrayed in the books. But what I would be interested to see is like a history of like, at what point did everyone who should have been in Slytherin and would have been a good addition to Slytherin and made the house better, decide, say, I don't want to be in Slytherin because of the reputation of Slytherin and like choose to be sorted into other houses. Mm. So pretty soon the only people who are left in Slytherin is the bad people who like the bad aspects and like the bad reputation of Slytherin so, like, I think that there are aspects of it that had it been celebrated and had that been the focus of would have been redeeming factors to it. Because I also think, you know, there's, uh, I, I want to say it's in book three, where all the Gryffindors in the Gryffindor common room are all being assholes. Like, 
there are many times where the Gryffindors turn on Harry, right? And like nobody's supporting him. Absolutely. Um, and there's a point where the uh, I think it's the Hufflepuffs during the Tri Wizard Tournament are being assholes to Harry. You know, they're kids, right. you know? And I think really what it comes down to is a lot of the terrible kids we see in Slytherin are products of their parents. Absolutely. And and I think also that it matters about what the, the head of house does in response to that kind of behavior. And we don't see Snape ever yes. really intervening in that, which is interesting to think about now that we have Slughorn in the scene, because I really resonate with what you're saying. But I think that one thing I would add about why I claim the Slytherin house for myself is, is I feel like sometimes a bit like Slughorn. Like I like the shiny things in life and so mm-hmm. does he. I mean, he's clearly all of those things about being ambitious and he's extremely talented at what he does clearly, but there's this danger of falling into cowardice. You know, he, he's not willing to stand up to things that he knows are wrong just to stay in good stead with people who think who he thinks are like important or can get him free tickets to a Quidditch game. And I think that's what identifying as a Slytherin is about for me is like, I know I have that in me. And I, I hope by by saying it out loud and by being like, I know this is a thing, like that A, people will help mm-hmm. me and that I will be kept to account by the people that love me and know right. me. Well, that's the thing is I'm uh, a diagnosed, like recovering narcissist, right? So right. like, that is the thing is I see within me those traits that in a different path yes. that I had taken, right, would be deplorable, right? But I have found ways to harness them and use them to help other people, exactly. right? So like, yeah, right? So like through my ambition, I'm able to reach more and more people and spread more positivity and help more people, right? And because I'm proud of myself, I'm able to encourage other people to love themselves mm. and be proud of themselves and show the positivity of being proud of yourself and those kinds of things. Mm. And through my cunning, this is one of the things that I think is really also underrated is that the kind of leap without looking trait of Gryffindor is often applauded as bravery Mm. but a lot of the times in in the books it puts people in danger oh for sure right where I think that if they had had a Slytherin good character to say like let's make a plan how about (laughs) we think about it before we just like do it that's what they were missing and probably would have saved a lot of lives and so that's why, for me, one of the reasons that I'm very proud and and speak openly about it is, listen, there will be people, my older brother is one of them, who will be quick to tell you that none of it's real and all this is made up. And that's absolutely <laughs> true. But I think that there are aspects of it that, like, when you identify with a house, it's because there's something about that house that you see within yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a bad thing or a good thing or whatever. And I think that there are people out there who it's very easy to see as outsiders or bad people because they are not as openly good and nice as others, right? And it's really easy for them to see themselves as bad people. And I think that it's important for me to say, like, listen, I have those impulses and there are things like I for, you know, the first 25 years of my life was kind of a jerk and very narcissistic and self-centered, and I'm working for the last decade. I work every day to be better, and it is so much more rewarding, and it's so much better to not deny who I am, but to harness the things about me of who I am to be better. And so that's why, for me, I I will always be very outspoken and not claim one of the three quote-unquote nice houses to be nice, but rather say, listen, I know this is a problematic house that has issues that I am not proud of, but it is who I am and we should work to be better instead of just accepting that we are the villains. It's one of those things where I wish more Republicans would do, which is to say, yes, I am a Republican, but it shouldn't mean this and this and this. It should mean this and this and yes. And I'm going to speak out and say, we need to stop being associated with this and this and this and start getting back to the good aspects that once were I don't think being proud of something means you have to ignore the bad stuff, right? Like, I am a proud American who hates so much that's going on right now. And I will continue to be a a proud citizen of the United States because I believe we can be better and I'm willing to put in the work to do the change, you know, rather than just say like, well, I'm out. And that's not to say people who, you know, need to get out are, are worse than me, but it's the strategy I have taken. I really love your American metaphor. Yeah. I, w- I was thinking of um, 
Southern is a better metaphor than white supremacists, right? Because like the Southern Poverty Law Center is an organization that is absolutely trying to own its Southern heritage and be proud of the positive parts of its Southern heritage while also trying to, you know, be inclusive and create equality. But you have to be honest about the mistakes that you've made or, you know, about your true identity in order to sort of be a productive force in society. And so I think that I think that your American metaphor is an even better one, right? Like, I love this country, which is why I am willing, not only willing to criticize it, but actually think it's incredibly important to criticize it. Yeah. And so I think that reframing pride is a really helpful thing for me. I mean, to me, it's just all about dismantling the entire house system. But. Well, but but that's I think that's the question, right? Yes. Because you could say this is the difference between patriotism and nationalism, and I, I think all of us would say, yeah, nationalism, no, thank you. But patriotism, like when I'm watching the Dutch football team, right? Like I get really into it, and I think someone might say, and I think they'd have a valid point of being like, yeah, but if you have patriotism, it necessarily will lead you down the road to nationalism. So your, your comment about like should we abolish the house system because it actually entrenches these divisions. It's such a difficult thing because if you don't have it, are people going to self-construct groups that end up playing out the same? Of course they will. Right? They're going to play out the same status yes, things. Of and, course they will. And at least with some structured, you know, whether whether it's nation states or whether it's houses, uh, is, is there a way to productively channel that MG into a Quidditch pitch? Like, I, I don't know. This is the thing is like, I, I always feel like with anything, right? Whether it's houses or, you know, you're putting people in groups, like you're choosing who goes in what group the tightrope walk of encouraging certain behaviors while discouraging other behaviors while also understanding the different like that's the thing is if you think about the four houses by sorting people into them you are inherently saying so if you behave this way Mm -hmm. you will rise up in this house it's just creating division right i think about i always think about in uh book one where at the end of the book Dumbledore starts awarding points, bonus points, and suddenly Slytherin is losing and Gryffindor wins. And the three houses that aren't Slytherin all cheer. Mm. Like, can you imagine being a Slytherin student and sitting there going like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm the bad guy then. Like, if you have competition, any sports team now, right, they, they encourage rivalries because it makes for better ticket sales and better ratings and everything, right. better merch sales. But it also leads to this, like, weird division where two, you know, fans of a football team will get in a fight over a thing. And it's like, hey, the only difference is you like one football team and you like another. (laughs) So, like, that's the thing is you could just say it's the red house and the green house and the blue house and the yellow house and remove any kind of thing about traits or anything. And I think you would still end up mm. with these like rivalries. This happened, I worked at Best Buy and we had different store numbers and it was just a number on a page that we were like comparing our sales to, but it's so easy to be like, oh, store 412, those jerks. <laughs> and it's like, what? Well, you don't know anything about them except they are competing with them. 412, they, they were jerks though. Come on, let's be honest. They were jerks, yeah. everyone knows that, it's yeah. true. But I think that that's the case is I think it it would be really hard to have any kind of separation without some kind of like identity politics coming into play of like, well, everyone knows that Blue House is the nice house or whatever. Like it's going to happen. But I think that that's the problem is what they should do is like every two months change the colors of everybody's house. Like now your blue house right. and your red house and just keep mixing it around until pretty soon you're like, I I don't know. I just want to play some Quidditch, please. <laughs> Are you saying that one of your podcasts and our podcast should become rival podcasts so that <laughs> all of our merch sales go up? That, it happens. Yes, we will. L- listen, if you want to start a rivalry, I've been trying to start a rivalry with Critical Role now forever, but they're just too nice and lovely, and I can't get it going. What jerks? <laughs> I know. They're so nice. Ugh. Well, Travis, thank you so much. I am seeing Slytherin in a totally different way. I will say that when we started our Harry Potter and Sacred Text reading group like five years ago now, mm-hmm. I was trash talking Slytherin and a girl left the group <laughs> saying that I wasn't respecting <gasps> her identity. It, it blew my mind. And I just feel like you have really 
help me understand what that was about. I've spent five years spiraling, not understanding what I did wrong. This is the thing I think about all the time, right? Whether you're talking about like what your engram is or your house or your astrological sign, all these things of like people like that's not real or that's yes. But I think what it really is, is it's people who see in those things some reflection of themselves, be it the best parts of themselves or the worst parts of themselves or whatever. And it gives them some way to make sense of who they are, right? Of say, I am not alone in this. There is a reason I feel the way that I do. And I know now that there are other people who feel the way that I do. And so that is why it's like, whether no matter what it is, if it gives somebody like a handhold in, you know, the turbulent nature of human existence to be able to say, I think this is part of who I am and this is, and I feel strongly that this is me, whether it's made up or not, like that to them gives them some kind of understanding of themselves. It's a, it's a meaning making tool. Right, exactly. It's context, right? It's context for yourself, which is oftentimes one of the hardest things to find, right? Because it's so easy to internalize everything that you feel and say, I'm the only person who's ever felt this. No one else could possibly understand this, right? And then someone else says, I also feel that way. And it's like unlocking this door where you're like, I am not alone. And so <laughs> I, I think that's why like the, the houses, astrological whatever are so important to people for whom they resonate because it allows them to feel connection yeah but when it comes down to it to go back to your original question i think that if you want to self-identify with a group that is seen for being identified overwhelmingly with like hate and vitriol and you know exclusion i think that you need to self-identify with it and then be an outspoken advocate for right. change and improvement within that group. I don't think you can be proud of being in a group, but stay quiet about all the things you disagree with. That's right. I think if you want to be proud of something, you have to be willing to say, I'm proud and it could be better and we can fix this. I'm still going to stay Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hufflepuff pride. That's fine. Even though I That's look fine. bad in yellow. I respect yellow. your decision. Well, that's the other thing. Also, green's my favorite color. So that works. That, <laughs> it, that just works out. Travis, thank you so much for being with us today and for the amazing work that you do. I know you're a tireless kind of promoter of goodness and hope and friendship. And we're just so grateful to have had you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. As obvious, uh, because I wouldn't stop talking. I will talk about Slytherin being Slytherin all the time. <laughs> I will talk about this all the time. I just got back from Harry Potter World, by the way, and I'm so I'm like especially jazzed to talk about it. Like I was there Friday and I'm so jazzed to talk about it. It's so great. Thank you so much for having me. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Vanessa, our first voicemail today is from Laura. 
Hi, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. This is Laura calling in with a reflection on what you said in your Lectio Divina for the episode on Stubbornness, Book 6, Chapter 6. When you read the line, they'll be murdered in their beds, she whispered, and then you started to explain the context of the line in the chapter, that Molly has just seen the twins' joke shop poster. I immediately thought that the line was saying that Molly was whispering to herself that she was going to murder them in their beds, obviously not literally, but then you continued on to explain that she is saying it out of worry. And what I thought was so interesting is that I stubbornly could not get this idea out of my head. And as you proceeded through the Lectio Divina, I kept waiting for you to give this alternate interpretation of the line. This certainly wasn't the literal interpretation, but to me, an obvious decontextualized variation. But then when you finished and hadn't said this, I came to realize that it was probably because you were doing Lectio and not Pardes. So I just thought it was an interesting time to point out an example of how different spiritual practices can lead us in different directions. You told the Peshat and I was ready for the Ramas. How was the word murder or bed used throughout the books? Which would be so interesting, of course. And then the Drash, maybe that would be my alternate interpretation. And then the Sod. Well, I have no idea. Sod is too hard. Am I right, guys? So let me just take another second to expound on my Drash regarding this line of text. When I hear Molly whisper, they'll be murdered in their beds, It makes me think of the times when we love someone so freaking much that we would do anything to prevent them from doing something so freaking stupid. We've all said and done things that we regret in those circumstances. And hopefully we aren't going too hyperbolic and saying we are going to kill our loved ones if they do X, like you're dead if you break these rules one more time. But we probably have said something else bad enough or know someone who has at the very least. Because I haven't gone and opened up the chapter, I stubbornly am still stuck on this interpretation of the line, especially because Molly is being so stubborn about her feelings and opinions about how her husband, kids, Harry, the order should be behaving during this difficult period of time. And her stubbornness is completely understandable, but in many ways, making things more difficult for herself. It's a coping mechanism to try to feel safe, to try to exert control over a situation that feels totally uncontrollable. In my drosh of the line, she is basically saying, if I murder the twins, at least they won't be able to put themselves in danger anymore. It's not a rational thought, but it feels like it is at the time. Okay, that's it. Just thought I'd share this interpretation with you all. Bye. Laura, I think that you point us to something really wonderful, which is that even though these are both four-step textual reading practices, I think that you're absolutely right that they do lead us in really different places. And I completely agree with you in that one of my favorite things that we ever get to do is this really close reading of looking at a specific word and the different meanings that that word has throughout the books. And I think that it's pretty wild all of the places that that can take us to. When Guigo II talked about Lectio Divina, he talked about it as a ladder toward God. But Stephanie Paulsell often talks about how Lectio is like lowering a ladder into the text. Mm. And I think that Pardes, on the other hand, we ask ourselves, where is this word in the entirety of the Torah or of the Harry Potter books? And I think that it, to some extent, expands our view rather than lowering in. And I think that to me, it really shows that, you know, you need a different tool for every situation, right? Any toolbox has more than just a hammer in it. And I think that by using these different spiritual practices and all of the ones that we don't use, I think demonstrates that A, the text can give us endless gifts and that B, there's so many different tools and so many different lessons that we could get. Oh, I love that image of like Lectio being a a vertical line, whether we're going down into the text or up towards the heavens. And that Pardes is this kind of horizontal line where we're traveling through time, traveling through the text in a really cool way. Yeah. And both are beautiful. Both are great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Our next voicemail is from Harriet. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Firstly, I want to say that I'm a huge fan of the show. I find it really calming and relaxing. So thank you guys for doing what you do. So recently, I was stuck at an airport waiting for my delayed flight. And I listened to your new episode on helplessness. And I was so stressed waiting for my plane that I listened to it again. And some things really jumped out for me. I really loved what you were saying about mental health and I think this is really important at the moment and I'm so glad that you guys are talking about it on your podcast. So last year I was in a situation where I felt confused, nowhere really felt like home and I was struggling a little bit with my mental health 
and I was angry at someone else because they didn't see what I was going through even though I hadn't told them and this situation ended up with me alone in the streets of London crying in front of people and it was really horrible and humiliating and I wouldn't want to go through it again and later I found out that the person I was angry at had gone through something so similar and had been crying on the streets of London just like me and I kind of saw this reflected in the chapter So the minister doesn't actually realise that the same thing is happening in the other minister's life. He says, don't you realise I've been having the same week you have? And I think that this is really important for the theme of helplessness because just by understanding that someone else is going through the same thing can make you feel less helpless in a way. Even if you're both struggling, you can help each other just by understanding, by communicating and by talking about things. And just like Sean was so open with you, I think we should be more open with each other about the way we're feeling and the situation I was in could have easily been fixed if I just talked about how I was feeling and communicated with other people a bit more and I wouldn't have felt as helpless if I knew that other people were going through exactly the same things. Thank you guys so much for what you do, like especially talking about mental health. This is really important and I think that this episode was really a good theme to choose as well because helplessness is like such a horrible feeling and especially if you're struggling with your mental health feeling helpless is something you'd be used to but just communicating and talking about things can help so much. Harriet I love your voicemail and I think that what it really calls out in me is that when I feel helpless I don't want to tell anyone about it and I would rather cry on the streets of London than talk about my feelings so I just really appreciate you calling out how beneficial that can be and that we should be talking about these things why why is it so hard sometimes it's just really hard (laughs) well it's like it's a fear of being judged it's Mm -hmm. a fear that the other person won't understand Mm -hmm. or won't care or will hold it against you later right like there are a lot of fears involved and why we don't share when we're feeling helpless. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the way to think about it is that it's not actually about helping yourself, but helping the greater good when, when you do say something, you know, like, like sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, but if I'm feeling helpless, the last (laughs) thing I care about is other people. No, I know, but that there's value beyond just me in taking this step. That's a little bit scary. Like I, I genuinely think I mean, just like Harry in the books, right? Like, yes, of course he's doing this to save his own skin, but there's so much more at stake. Like there's more meaning than just his own experience in the reason why he does all the things he does. So maybe that can inspire us in those moments. Is there something wrong with me that I would not find it embarrassing at all to be crying on the streets of London? I feel like I'd want, it's like a movie. I just, crying in front of anonymous strangers is so much better to me than crying in front of someone I know. I think I'd go with people I know. Uh, okay. Harriet, the other thing I'm thinking about is, you know, the, the fact that the other person that you were in contact with had was also experiencing a similar moment. You know, when we are really low and the other person who maybe we turn to for support is also really struggling, sometimes we kind of show the worst parts of ourselves or I know that I get very short and snappy, but also more vulnerable. Like whatever the other person says becomes much more hurtful even if they don't really mean it, because, you know, we're, we're both in such a stressful place. And so I guess maybe the meaning I'm taking from all of this is, is like, we can't just rely on one other person. That's why we need community, right? Like, everyone is going to go through challenging moments. And there are other days when we're doing well, and we can support other people. And it's that kind of circle of friendship and love and, and support that helps everyone make it through, because no one is great all of the time. I mean, I'm great all the time. I'm not always doing great. (laughs) That's an important distinction. I guess one of the things that this podcast teaches me again and again is to live with forgiveness in my life more and more humility that you like never know what somebody else is going through. You know, we can't all be supportive of each other all the time and we don't always want to share that. And I think that that's fine. And so what we need to do is forgive each other. And like you were saying, Casper, not just have one person, right? And so if I am too absorbed to be helpful to someone, I hope that they find somebody else in that moment and forgive me for maybe missing the signs. And I think we just have to be assuming best intentions in one another. That is the thing that gets me the furthest in my friendships, right, is assuming good intentions in the other person and yeah. and really – praying that they'll always assume good intentions in me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Our next voicemail is from an anonymous Hufflepuff. And just a little trigger warning that she does talk about suicide. Hello, Vanessa, Casper, Ariana, and the rest of the Harry Potter Sacred Text team. I've been listening to the podcast since very nearly the beginning, but due to life circumstances and catching up after a long listening hiatus. I just made it through book four, chapter 30, The Pensive, through the theme of comfort. Just before starting the spiritual practice, Vanessa was talking about Dumbledore sharing Neville's story with Harry. And Vanessa, you say that we should not share other people's stories because they are not ours to tell. Until these last few years, I would have been in complete agreement with you, but I no longer am. I would like to share a story that is not fully my own, which is why I've chosen to stay anonymous, but I would like to start with a trigger warning for content. A few years ago after graduating high school, my older brother made his first suicide attempt. He had sought psychological help and during an outpatient program been provided a cocktail of numerous different medications. Before the week was up, my family awoke early in the morning to find my brother had taken the entire month's supply of all his new medications only a few hours earlier. We called the ambulance and my brother was taken to the hospital amongst the stirring and watching neighbors we had grown up with. At the hospital, they could not reverse what my brother had done and all we could do was wait and hope. He pulled through and we were so grateful we had more time with my brother. We wanted to protect my brother during his recovery and make him comfortable. So we moved forward, not telling anyone the story of my brother being taken to the hospital for a suicide attempt. It was not our story to tell. Over the years, my brother would struggle with his mental health, attempting suicide on several more occasions. Each time my brother was hospitalized, it was less private than the first few, and a new friend or family member would tell me that they would have done something sooner had they only known that what they were seeing was not just my brother dealing with a tough time, but signs that he needed help. Even those that had seen my brother taken away in the ambulance that first morning had had no idea. This hurt to know that had my family been open with others, maybe there would have been fewer close calls, less anxiety, and more empowerment of others to help. Now, while selective in who receives the narration, I tell a story that I do not feel is truly mine to tell. I would give a blessing to Dumbledore and anyone else that is walking the fine line between being discreet to protect someone's privacy and telling stories that are not their own because others need to hear them. Sorry that this voicemail was long, but I'm so grateful for the podcast for my local Harry Potter sacred text reading group and to my friends and family that have been patiently listening to me recommend this podcast nonstop for the past several years. Thank you guys for everything that you do. Bye. Thank you, Anonymous Hufflepuff, for your uh, evangelism of the podcast. And I'm so glad that you have a local reading group. I know those groups become real friendships and support networks as well over time. And I'm really struck by how your experience has changed your perspective and that there's a value in sharing things that might not feel like initially ours to share because they end up having such a huge impact, of course, on our lives, but on the lives of people we love. I'm reminded of a recent conversation on this podcast, Vanessa, where you and I were talking about bike helmets. And it feels related in the sense that like, at some point when we love one another, that there is a reason to insert ourselves in one another's lives. And that doesn't always end well, right? Like it can feel, if, if it goes wrong, it can feel violating, but at the same time, not doing it, sometimes it has the most horrible consequences. Yeah, and I think that the more that we see each other is bound up into each other's lives. Right. I see mostly good coming from that, right? Boundaries are obviously important in a lot of circumstances and and realizing that there are times and places where you can't help somebody else until they help themselves, right? Like obviously there are exceptions to this, but I think that all of humanity should see our fates as tied and if somebody is suffering across the world, like, that is bad for me, right? Mm. So, like, minus those specific exceptions, I think that us seeing ourselves as owing things to one another is just mostly a force for good in the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And thank you for modeling, you know, that anonymity. And by mm. putting some boundaries on it, we can share these stories with each other. Yeah. What a beautiful illustration of exactly that point, right? Oh, so good. Our next voicemail is from Sasha, and I think she might say Hagrid when she means Harry early on in this voicemail. 
Hi there, my name is Sasha and I am from New York. I'm actually not calling in reference to a particular episode, although I do listen to every single one as often as I can. Um, I'm calling because I listen as well to the audiobooks narrated by Jim Dale, highly recommend. And um, I'm re-listening to the seventh book right now and I'm just starting over and Hedwig was just brutally murdered and Hagrid made it and he's happy, but he's feeling all this guilt um, because Tonks's mom is clearly worried about Tonks and he's worried about all his friends and all of these people who've really put themselves on the line. And he's saying, it's all his fault. You know, if anyone else was hurt, it'll be all his fault. And I don't, I could ramble forever about my personal traumas and the things that have happened to me. But for the sake of everyone listening um, and their time, I'll simply say that I, I think what I want to offer is a blessing to to Harry and in the spirit of, of the last voicemail lever to myself and to anyone who is overcoming pain, uh, not simply blessing them with strength and hoping they make through it through it, although that's true. Um, what I really want to wish is that we can forego that sense of guilt it was so obvious to me, and it's always obvious to me when I listen to the books, that it's not Harry's fault, you know, and I deeply empathize with his sense of responsibility, however warped and however unfair, um, but it's not his fault. He didn't choose to be born. He didn't choose to be chosen by Voldemort um, as his equal. He didn't choose to have his parents murdered, and he didn't choose to have the wizarding world's, the fate of the wizarding world rest on his shoulders. But also, it's not his fault that he was loved and is loved by all of these people. And it's not a trick and it's not some some crazy scheme he's gotten away with, although it does feel like that and for me too. Um, so often it feels like the people who love me don't know what they're getting themselves into and it would be better for them to move on, to let go, to or to be shown. Sometimes it feels like this brutal need to show people how deep the evil in me goes, whether it's my fault or not, whether I want it there or not. I, I feel dangerous. I feel this enormous capacity to hurt people and ruin lives and wreck worlds. And it's just not true. Uh, it's not true. And it's not my fault. And it doesn't disqualify me or him or any of you listening now from being loved. And that's something I'm learning. <laughs> um from J.K. Rowling and from Jim Dale, who does all the voices, and from Harry and for myself and so many of my friends. And that's it. A blessing to everybody who's just trying to be loved and who might not believe they deserve it. So, Casper, one of my favorite things that you talk about is right-sizedness. Hmm. I think that that's something that Sasha is thinking about too, right? We want to think of ourselves as people with agency in the world. And yet we often feel the shame and guilt of things that were completely out of our control mm. and then don't seize the control that we do have of being compassionate to ourselves or extending the love, you know, that that we deserve. And it's, and yeah, it's just something that I feel like I see again and again where People feel like they can't make a difference, except they also feel like everything bad is their fault, right? And it's something that Harry, you know, is constantly dealing with. And so separating out agency from like, this was my fault rather than this was a system's fault or this is mental illness or this is, you know, trauma that has happened. There's just such a culture and language around our own agency in the wrong context. And we have to be doing our best to you know, be talking about agency in the right context rather than when something really just happens to us. Mm, yeah. I'm thinking, I remember the very first podcast I listened to, and this is like 12 years ago or something, was a vegan cooking show, uh, which I think I've mentioned before. Colleen Patrick Goudreau is the host. I'm sure she's still going. She's amazing. And she always said, you know, just because you can't do everything, don't do nothing, do something. And so I feel like you're pointing to as well, like this, this fallacy of essentialist, either it's completely this or it's completely that. And it's more than a just about like accepting that we live in a gray world, but more like find the thing that you can do and do that. 
whether whether that is to interrupt a cycle of violence and step out of a relationship or whether it's about intentionally being really compassionate with yourself so that you can extend compassion to other people or whether it's more of an activist, you know, stepping out into the world with a clear action. That always just resonates in the back of my mind around this question of right-sizedness. You said that to me a few weeks ago about something, about uh, just because you can't do everything doesn't mean that you shouldn't do something. And mm. it felt so comforting. Mm. And yeah, I just hate hearing the ways that we start to blame ourselves right. for terrible things that have happened. Right, which end up just incapacitating us even further. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sasha. And finally, we're going to hear from Tesla Curtis, who I am thrilled to say is calling in about owls. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. This is Tesla from Portland, Oregon. And I was just thinking that having owls as your uh, mailing service seems very unsanitary and kind of unsafe. We hear that the owls come in during breakfast, and these owls have been traveling quite far, so they're probably dirty, and even if they weren't dirty, they might be carrying diseases, and I mean, even that, you just don't want an owl feather in your soup, or in your porridge. And these owls have sharp talons, and as we hear, Hedwig um, will often nip at Harry's ear. And I mean, what if they accidentally nipped too hard and bit off a kid's ear? Is there a, um, like, safety policy at Hogwarts for owl injuries? Just wondering what you were thinking on this. Thank you. Bye. So first of all, Tesla, I think that we know the answer to other safety policies and procedures at Hogwarts. <laughs> Those are lacking. No, there absolutely aren't. Here's what I will say back to you. I have a dog. She's disgusting, right? She romps in the woods. She gets all things all over her little paws. And then every time I see her, like, see a dog pee and then her, like, walk in the grass over them with her paws, my first thought is, and I let her in my bed. It's disgusting. Animals are disgusting. But she's such a good snuggler that it's worth it to me. And I just feel like it's probably the same with owls. Like, yes, they're disgusting. But who cares? They're awesome. <laughs> so I thought you were going to completely agree with Tesla. So I had prepared my rebuttal as I was listening. Oh, which no. Is that, <laughs> which is that my favorite definition of what is dirt is simply that it's matter out of place. And so how we think about the world of where shoes belong, for example, is very different in different cultures, right? In some places, it's completely normal that you walk in with shoes. In other places, it's extremely offensive. And so I think we're just living in that kind of multicultural system right now of like looking at where these owls live and play or live and work, I should say, which for us is like outrageous, right? They're gonna poop in your breakfast cereal. But, you know, for the wizarding world, they're like, this is normal. Welcome. Oh, it's Polyakov again. <laughs> but did you name your owl after Polyakov? Maybe. <laughs> that totally makes sense. I love your point about, like, the cultural aspect of this. I think that's exactly right. I think that I am culturally a dog person and not a cat person. So I see a cat doing certain things, and I'm like, that is disgusting. <laughs> when, like, if you were to trace the germs, right, like, it's not more disgusting. One of the dirtiest places in New York City are the iPads at the Apple store <gasps> in Times Square. And we like do not think of that, but it's like a contagion center because people have been on the subway and they've been in a million different places and they go and they attach the iPad and they go about their days. And it is dirtier than most toilets. Wow. And so our conceptions of what these things are and what is actually dangerous to ourselves are very complicated. Wow. I will say, though, I would be really upset if an owl feather ruined my porridge just after I've scooped in, like, the right amount of brown sugar <laughs> and you've, like, gotten it perfect. Yeah. And then an owl feather would get in there. <laughs> Thank you, Tesla. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or join our Facebook group to chat with other listeners about this episode. Come and join the 1,200 people supporting us on Patreon, or leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. Vanessa and Ariana will be at LeakyCon from October 11th to 13th. You can follow the Harry Potter pilgrimage on Instagram by following Common Ground. And we hope to see you soon at one of our live shows. We'll be in Washington, D.C. on November 7th, Chicago, Illinois on November 21st, and St. Louis, Missouri on December 19th. 
Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 10, The House of Gaunt, through the theme of temptation. Don't forget to check out Women of Harry Potter. We are produced by Not Sorry Productions, executive produced by Ariana Nettleman, associate produced by Chelsea Erson, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are a proud part of Night Vale Presents. We'd like to thank Laura, Harriet, our anonymous Hufflepuff, Sasha, and Tesla for this week's voicemails, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. I saw an owl in the wild this weekend (gasps) at like four o'clock in the afternoon. It was eating a very early breakfast of a mouse. We thought it was injured because it was staying on the ground for so long, but it turns out that it was killing a mouse. Then we saw it fly up into a tree and the tail just go (laughs) into its little mouth. It was a barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D, and it was so cute and I loved it. So do you now want to join my owl fan club? I love owls. Do they signify change? They signify wonder. And wisdom. And safety. (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.